otherwise with Shadow Twala. See the world from a woman's point of view. Good day, Chim Zanzi. Welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzen is the producer of the show, and Kuleo Gunen and Ganit Gwenika are driving the desk today. Our contact details are 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. On the show today, we explore the healing power of music with Karen Stewart, who's a music therapist, and she's going to talk to us about an event that's taking place, the screening of Alive Inside. And going back to study as an adult may seem daunting, but not to worry. Tammy Oppenheim of the Independent Institute of Education gives us a path to success. And finally, we hear about artist Gerard Sigorto's legacy from Barbara Lindop of the Sigorto Foundation. But first... Chew on these wise words. The Lunch Bite on SAFM. give you some woman's worth therapy there uh, from Alicia Keys. When we come back, talking to Karen Stewart, uh, who is a music therapist? An illness, constant biting, or being active can result in brittle, loose, or fungal nail infections. Pharmaco has the effective solution for you. Clear Nail is a clinically proven product that treats all nail-related infections, making your nails as good as new. One Clear Nail pen can give you up to 300 applications. For amazing results, find Clearnail at all Discam, Clicks, and independent pharmacies. For more info, visit pharmaco.co.za. Clearnail for healthy, beautiful nails. When you purchase prescription spectacles at Specsavers, you can now get either a free comprehensive eye test or up to 500 rand off your frame or lens enhancements. You get to choose. That's right. Choose either a free comprehensive eye test 
or up to 500 rand off your frame or lens enhancements. Offer available for a limited time only. Visit specsavers.co.za for more information. T's and C's apply. Specsavers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. Welcome to the bank, sir. How can I help you? Hi, I want to open an account. ID, please. She also needs that. Everywhere I go, they want my ID, birth certificate and license. I'm too old and my parents have never applied for my documents. Sir, this means your birth was never registered with Home Affairs. You can't prove your citizenship. You can't even get a driver's license, marriage certificate or a social grant. What can I do to fix this? Visit your nearest Home Affairs office before the 31st of December 2015 to apply for an ID. Take with you your documents like a clinic card or a letter from your former school. And remember to bring along a South African adult with an ID as a witness to confirm your citizenship. Act now. Don't be left out. Late registration of birth ends on the 31st of December 2015. Home Affairs. We care. It took decades for South Africa to have the constitution it has today. The least we can do is take a few seconds to understand it. Section 29 of the Bill of Rights states that everyone has the right to a basic education, including adult basic education, which the state, through reasonable measures, must make progressively available and accessible. SAFM, we can't put a price on our constitution. But we can remind you about its infinite worth. And that's what makes us South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Now, Alive Inside uh, is a film that's going to be screened at the lobby on the 25th of October, and it's joyous cinematic exploration of music's capacity to reawaken our souls and uncover the deepest parts of our humanity. Joining me now is Karen Stewart, who's a music therapist, and she's also going to be speaking at the event, but I thought she'd give us some insights. Hello, Karen, and welcome. Thank you for your time. Hi, Shadow. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, when I saw the the, the brief... um, film, or or the trailer rather, of Alive Inside, I felt alive inside, because I was not aware of the power of music as far as healing people. Yes. It's a very inspiring film, and it really just speaks to the fact that music is so emotive, it really helps us connect with um, our emotions, our memories, etc. So it's used really... Um, really well with people with dementia as it depicts in the film. Mm. So, Karen, when do we introduce music as therapy? You know, I remember when I was expecting my child, um, somebody suggested that I play music uh, and put uh, headphones around my tummy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've heard a lot of people suggest that. You know, I think uh, from even before we're born, while we're in our mother's womb, we can we can hear ambient noises around us. We might not understand that, but that's the that's the first time where we we can kind of experience the the sounds and the elements of music. Mm-hmm. And I think music is such a part of our everyday life, from when mommy or granny singing lullabies to the baby, mm-hmm. um, from the way that we speak so musically. Our, our communication is very musical in nature. Yes. Um, and music has a powerful effect on our physiology, our heart rate, our heartbeats, um, our brain waves. And, of course, it has a powerful impact on our emotions if we think about how movies make really good use of, of music mm. and how it can impact us. Like mm. a scary movie isn't as scary without the, <laughs> the horrible mu- the music that makes it even more scary. Um, 
So I think music is such a big part of our everyday life. Where it starts coming into the more um, music therapy side of things mm. is obviously we can't refute that music is therapeutic in general. Mm. It helps us calm down. It can help inspire us. Um, but music therapy itself is a very is a clinical use of music. So okay. a music therapist is trained to use those aspects of music uh, to bring about change in the person, whether it's um, helping them express difficult emotions, whether it's reconnecting them with the abilities and skills that they used to have, maybe, for example, before dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really used for a wide variety of reasons. Um, but it's usually someone who has a difficulty in maybe the social sphere of their life or the emotional, psychological spheres. Now, what type of music is, is, is the biggest healer? Or how do you choose the, the kinds of sounds you want to introduce to the patient? I Well, it's one of the things we can do in music therapy, but I think in the elderly care realm, what I would mostly use is preferred music. So there's no... It's not like I can prescribe a certain kind of music to bring about a certain kind of feeling necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, Music therapy really makes use of the preferred music. So when I'm working with um, elderly people, if I'm running a music therapy group, we're normally singing songs that they have a connection to. So what was popular in their day? um, What are their favorite kinds of artists and styles of music? So there's a lot of research about the preferred, the use of preferred music. And that has a really big impact because it brings them back to who they were back in the day and uh, all the memories they might be having, and it brings up those emotions that they would have had. What are you trying to achieve by introducing that preferred music? Are 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 you trying to get a response of some kind? Are you trying to get an emotion out of them. What are you trying to achieve? I suppose depending on on who you're treating and what kind of illness they're dealing with. But what are you trying to achieve? So that's a big question. If if we stay with um, people with dementia or Alzheimer's in particular, I think the biggest response or the biggest word I can use there is the word connection. So Mm -hmm. when I'm working with them specifically in music therapy, I'm looking for moments of connection. So reconnecting with that person with, their memories with who they were uh, when they were younger and actually who they still are underneath all those layers of confusion. Mm. Also trying to connect them socially with the, with the people in their group, getting them chatting and laughing and also helping them connect with me as the person working with them mm. and making music with them. So I think the word connection is the biggest uh, word or the most impactful word I can use there. When I'm working with people with other issues, for example, children who've undergone some kind of trauma, mm. then most of the music making we're doing is active music making. I have bags of instruments, okay. pianos, guitars. We're mm. making music together, and through that, we I help the child express all the emotions, the subconscious emotions that can come out, and we work through that in order to help them deal with those emotions. So it works quite differently depending on who you are working with, as you as you said just now. I can imagine, but I, yeah. I think uh, when it comes to grief and sadness, whether yes. it's caused by a divorce or uh, death in the family and those kinds yes. of things, do, would you would you recommend music therapy? I would definitely. I think you know most of us easily hide behind our words. So there is a big move in general in the healthcare profession to move towards the nonverbal therapies mm-hmm. so that we don't get to hide behind the words. Sometimes we feel grief or loss so profoundly that words don't really always express it. 
if I'm working with a child who's experienced loss in some way, then we're making music around that. We're either writing songs that can help him express that. Mm. Um, we're just improvising, creating sounds and music that help that help carry that feeling of loss, if you will. Um, and with adults too, the nonverbal use of music, if we're engaging to, together on a piano and we're, we're playing sounds and making music that kind of reflects this grief, the subconscious material kind of comes out in the music. Mm. Um, mm. And obviously with the training that I have, I can interpret and analyze and really hear what the emotional content is of that music. Mm. And then we work with that. I can either then talk, we can talk about it afterwards if we really want to, um, or we can let the music help. So what happens, says, what happens yes. during therapy? So, again, you're right, so it depends on who I'm working with. Um, we can have individual sessions or group sessions. Mm. Um, I always have instruments with me, so I have a lovely music room, and uh, there's pianos, guitars, djembe drums, all sorts of instruments. And I invite the person or the child or the adult to make music along with me. So we can use a variety of techniques from active music improvisation right through to songwriting, discussing lyrics like their favorite songs, we can listen to music, but most of the time it's active music making and it's being engaged in active music making that helps a person feel kind of in control of um, what they're doing and um, give them that, that experience of building their confidence, helping them express themselves through the act of music making. And, and as in dancing expressions? Well, we can do movement to music, definitely. I mean, if a child is going to get up and dance, I'm going to get up and dance with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all about providing that, that client-therapist relationship. And in that relationship, I'm validating and reflecting what I'm hearing or seeing the client do. Mm. So in a way, they get to experience themselves as powerful, as heard, um, and as able rather than disabled. So if we come back to someone with dementia, I mostly work in groups. Uh, so we're singing all sorts of songs. I hand out a whole lot of instruments, offering them a choice of which instrument they'd like to play. And we sing a whole lot of songs that bring take them back to the, to the good old days, if that, as they often say. Yeah, and sometimes we do some dancing. We'll sing Let's Twist again and we do some dancing. Or we'll all shook up and then we chat about those <laughs> days and what kind of dancing they did. So again, kind of talking about the memories and, and, and bringing back those hopefully positive emotions. Although I, music, because it's so emotive, sometimes brings back sad memories, and that's yes, also okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was, it, it sounds like lots of fun, by the way, but I was just wondering, <laughs> do you have a, a, a breakthrough that you never thought you'd achieve uh, that you, you'd like to share with us of, of how you, you, the music really uh, got to places where you didn't think it would go? Yes, I can tell you about a, a, a client that I see at one of the old age homes. I see her in a group, and um, her family had said to me that she's very depressed. She has dementia, very depressed, um, and wasn't up for doing anything. So I still said she's welcome to come to the music therapy group. Let's see what happens. Of course, there's no coercion. If she doesn't want to play anything, that's quite okay. But the the way that she engaged with us was so surprising. The staff were surprised. She suddenly, she suddenly, almost like she awoke. She, yeah. she started engaging. She played the instrument. Her favorite instrument is the djembe drum, which was wow. also surprising because usually it's a big instrument and it's quite loud. <laughs> so this person who had been described to me as someone who was very low in energy and very depressed suddenly 
was singing and she has a beautiful operatic voice and wow. she sang loudly and she engaged and she was smiling and her eyes were wide open and alert um and that was really surprising and that's and that's what she's like in the music therapy group but if you see her outside of the music therapy group she's sitting very still um, and not really engaging with the world around her mm. so the staff and myself uh, although I shouldn't be surprised anymore, I see so many, <laughs> so many instances of music really being a powerful motivator for someone. Um, yeah, but she just yeah. kind of awoke. And yeah. I guess that's what the film is talking about. Well, this is it, and I yes. wanted to get to the film now. It's screening on the 25th of October at the Labia. Um, yes. Who should come and see it? I think anyone who has an interest, interest in music and how it can be used, um, with us as humans. So mm-hmm. anyone who's interested in music, anyone who's working with um, people who have disabilities of any sort, mm-hmm. especially those with dementia or Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's a beautiful film. I it, I almost I cried, no, I laughed, I, I felt inspired, I felt motivated. It was just an amazing film. And there's parts of the film that talk about how music impacts us in terms of brain anatomy and mm-hmm. physiology, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. Um, and also some lovely kind of human stories of how music is used to great benefit. Karen, can you give us, uh, because it's showing at the lobby, I'm not too sure if it's going to go around uh, the country, but can you give us the, the, the link on, on the website so people can just, you know, log in just to see the trailer? Okay, yeah, the website is um, aliveinside.us. Mm-hmm. Aliveinside.us. Yes. Um, there's also links to that website on the Dementia SA website. Mm-hmm. Um, which and is? then there's, which is, ooh, I would just go Google well, Dementia, Dementia SA, SA, so I don't yeah. have it in Okay, okay. Um, yeah, Dementia SA has got a lot of information on that. Um, and yeah, if people can do some online searches about Alive Inside, there's a lot of information about it. There's also a really lovely website, um, about music and memory. Um, and that's, the, the social worker who um, is part of this Alive Inside music uh, movie uh, has this other website about music and memory, okay. which is an organization that he runs. Okay. Very interesting. Um, well, yeah. Karen, thank you so much for talking to us and let the music play, hey? Yeah, <laughs> thank you so you much for care. having me. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Karen Stewart, who's the music therapist and founder of the Cape Town Music Therapy. And the film called Alive Inside is, uh, it won the Audience Awards at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. So you can Google www.aliveinside.us and go and get emotional, because I did. We're back after this, speaking with Tammy Oppenheim. A little education goes a long way in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. SAFM, supporting the fight against breast cancer. Sick of always missing your favorite SAFM shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free podcast service that allows you to access them directly from your cell phone, PC, or tablet, whenever and wherever you're ready to listen. Go to safm.co.za and click on Podcast. This takes you to the SAFM page on iono.fm. Follow at iono.fm on Twitter or like it on Facebook for regular updates. You never have to miss your favorite shows. SAFM Podcasts, powered by iono.fm. The Minister of Higher Education and Training, Dr. Bladen Zimande, will engage various stakeholders in robust discussions on the second Higher Education Summit. Delegates set to attend leading academics, uh, government and student leaders, as well as members of parliament. 
summit will focus on funding for academically deserving students, poor institutional culture, the language policy and students' accommodation. SAFM will broadcast live from the event. The summit runs from the 15th to the 17th of October 2015 at the ICC in Durban. The Deputy President of South Africa, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, will open the summit on the 15th, which is today. 107.1, the home of SAFM in Seapoint. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My guest is Tammy Oppenheim, Head of Program Applied Humanities Faculty at the Independent Institute of Education. Tammy, welcome. Thank you for your time. And good afternoon. I am trying to study, and I was so excited when I heard that we will be talking to you because I'm having some challenges. Uh, what is it that you're studying? Um, <laughs> no, I won't tell you what I'm studying, but I'm doing an online course. Okay, digital. Digital, and that is my difficulty. Uh, digital education can be uh, somewhat challenging, especially if you come from a background where you're used to the more traditional kind of university bricks and mortar experience. Yes. Uh, but the thing is, I think you just need to learn to be adaptable and take advantage of all the technology that comes with using digital mm. platforms for your education. Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, does come with a lot of, it does come with a lot of training. You do have to learn how to use the new systems and the processes, but I find most of our systems, certainly the ones we use at the IIE, have very, very clear and straightforward how-to guides and instructions, which you really need to make sure you take the tutorials, watch the videos, and, and learn how to use the platform. Yeah, and the software and all of those kinds yes. of things. That, that becomes a difficulty. But tell me, just to bring in our listeners, that we're talking about about adults uh, going or studying for some reason or other, and usually it's a big challenge. When do you and what steps do you take before you even register for whatever it is you're going to study? I think the first step that you need to do is you need to do extensive research on where you want to do your studies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you decide that you want to do, say, you know, a, a degree in design or a BCom. You need to make sure that the institution that you choose is geared towards that particular qualification, that they've got a reputation for excellence in that, that mm -hmm. they've, you know, they've got a, a reputation in industry, whichever industry the qualification would feed into. Mm -hmm. So um, as well as the kind of requirements of the institution, are you going to have to go onto campus, are you going to have to go to lectures, or you know, for a busy working professional like yourself, you know, a digital course would be far preferable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do your research about where it is you want to study first. But, you see, this is where the challenge is that digital was, was the easiest one. But then what does one need to, um, I, I suppose, acquaint themselves with when you're going digital, considering that, uh, you know, it changes all the time? Well, that's the thing. I think, I mean, once you've, once you've registered for your qualification, you need to commit to playing with the system. Ah. You know, don't be afraid to try things. You know, if it has an online wiki or an online forum that the, the particular course utilizes, try posting something, you know, the only real way to learn a program is to play with it mm, and spend mm. as much time engaging with it as possible mm. because otherwise you're going to end up being scared of it and then you're not going to maximize the opportunity. When, when you then suggested that find out if they're linked to the industry, yes. let's say we, we're talking about design, uh, if, if the, the, the organization that you're going to study through um, how do you find out if they link to industry? And please don't answer that now. Hold that thought. I'll come back and talk to you because we're taking news headlines, Tammy. All right. Thank you. Uh, so, Utsi Lesaku with news headlines. 
Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. Criminal and civil action may be taken against anybody found to be negligent following yesterday's structural bridge collapse near Greyston Drive in Santon in Johannesburg. Police are involved in a tense standoff with the community of Lavender Hill near Meisenberg. Angry community members are gathered outside the home of a taxi driver who was shot dead together with his son earlier today in sea winds. And the South African Revenue Service has commended customs officials at Owa Tambo International Airport for their success in discovering crystal meth worth over 16 million rand this week. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. We're talking about how to make success of your studies as an adult with Tammy Oppenheim. So, Tammy, we do research and uh, make sure that whatever organization is relevant to industry. Yeah, so, for example, you would talk to people that are in your industry and find out where did they study, you know, the, the people that they hire, where do they prefer to hire people um, mm. from. Another really good thing to look at it for sort of the creative arts design would be to look at which institutions won awards. So, mm. for example, look at the Lurie, that's great, see where the award winners come from yeah. and then choose based on that. Okay, so that's first on the plate. Number two, what do we do? Um, I think... Uh, I think it's most people kind of don't internalize the idea of themselves studying. It's not one of their primary definers. It's just something extra that they're doing on the side, and that's never going to work. It needs to become part of your new normal. You know, you shower, you eat, and you study. It's a part of who you are. Okay. If it's just something that you occasionally do when you have a spare minute, you're not going to succeed. You need to set aside a very organized time where mm. that is for the student version of you, and mm. that is when you do your research, and that is when you, you do your studies. Um, and the other advantage of that also is because, you know, as, as, as adults, we're busy, we work, we have families. If you consistently set aside a time, then it also helps the people in your life to manage the expectations of you. You know, if everyone knows that on Sundays you study, then eventually they'll stop badgering you to uh, have a Sunday bribe. They leave the house. <laughs> whatever it needs to be. So you really need to like, kind of manage the expectations of the people in your life as well. Is it important to keep the same time, kind of a timetable of using the same hours every day? I know a friend of mine who wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day to study. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. I, I'm an early bird, so for me that's, you know, that's perfectly normal to wake up at 4 and get two hours of work done. Um, but other people, that, that doesn't work for them. You know, I'm diurnal. But if you have a nocturnal person, then maybe for them night times will be better. Mm-hmm. And again, the more kind of regimented, organized people can say every day from 8 to 9. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think if you can't be that organized and you're more of a kind of creative or chaotic person, at least um, at least set aside X amount of hours a week. So every week I will devote five hours and mm. then slot in at the, the bare minimum. And, and then um, you, you're talking about studying. And, and how does one interact? Because I suppose the people or your study group is not – is not with you when you are ready and when you have dedicated time to study. So how do you, how do you, how do you network? Well, I think, um, well, in your case, you're doing a distance qualification. Hmm. So in those case, you need to make use of the mediated communication mechanism. So uh, you'll have, probably you'll have an electronic forum that your study group will have. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that IE qualifications require like engagement with the material and the students need to dialogue with each other on Yes. Um, electronic forms, they create wikis on the subject that mm. they're dealing with. So whatever tools your institution creates for networking, you need to maximize that. And then once you have the contacts of your fellow students, you know, don't be afraid to set up a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group. 
I think it's just helpful to realize you're not alone. You know, most people, especially doing distance, are adults. And, um, you know, it's, it's useful to have someone remind you of a deadline or to give you emotional support and to say, you know, you're not alone. We're mm. right there with you. We're all struggling together. Mm-hmm. And, and that support is important, eh? Hey? Very, very, very important. I think um, doing things in isolation just makes everything much, much harder. Mm. Um, and you, you really, you don't have to be, you know. You, you find groups, especially online, that are going through what you are. Mm. And, and hopefully then you, you, get, you get that, you get used to it because the idea is not to stop when you started as an adult. The kids are away, you've, you've done everything you have, and, and it, it's probably, and it's good for your career, right? Well, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, in my case, I took a long gap between my undergraduate degree and my postgraduate studies because I, I stopped and I had babies mm. and I worked and I built my career. And that, that initial step, getting back into studies, which in my case was a 10-year gap, it's extremely daunting. It's, it's nerve-wracking. Um, but once you've done it and it's become your new normal, you know, I finished that qualification, now I'm on to the next one. And, mm. and it has just become a part of my life. I'm, I'm used to it. And I think that's a really... It's a really good way to look at it. I mean, in this day and age, the job market is so completely competitive that any kind of competitive edge that you can offer and of, is worth it. And, of course, um, you lose friends in the, in, the, in the interim because you can't hang out, you can't go out for a drink and those kinds of things. Yeah? Oh, I think it depends on the type of friends that you have. <laughs> I mean, if they're, if they're just drinking buddies, then yes, they'll probably fall by the wayside <laughs> for a short amount of time. Um, but, I mean, one could argue that the type of friends that you'll meet during the qualification will have a lot in common with you too, oh, yes. because they're, you oh, know, yes. a kind of an depth to the relationship that may be lacking in just your drinking buddies. Yeah. No, they say some, some friends are there for a reason, some for a season. Absolutely. And, and those kinds of things. Yeah. So how do we get hold of you if somebody's listening and they'd like more advice from you, Tammy, how, how do they find you? Uh, well, I work at uh, the Independent Institute of Education and the Faculty of Applied Humanities. Mm-hmm. So if anyone has any questions for me, they can email me on toppenheim mm-hmm. at iie.ac.za. You didn't inherit the ER. No, if I inherited the ER, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have to study so hard. <laughs> I thought, hmm, she, she ran short of just two. <laughs> well, Tammy, thank you so much for talking to us and all the best. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Goodbye. By the Independent Institute of Education. That's where you'll find Tammy Oppenheim. And uh, when we come back, in fact, I'm not even going to say when we come back because I'm so excited to be talking to Barbara Lindop of the Jared Sikorta Legacy. Uh, and uh, of, no, we're talking about his legacy, but Sikorta Foundation. And I thought none of us have heard uh, Jared Sikorta's music. And uh, we'll take a listen now.
Africa by uh, Jared Sikoto and uh, t- here to talk to us about his legacy is Barbara Lindup. Barbara, hello. Hi, you Shadow. I'm good, thank you. When last did you hear that song? Uh, just the other day because we tied up with Samru yes. and they had the big band from TUT playing this year. Last year we had the big band from The Orbit in, in Brownfontein and it is just sensational in a big band. Well, I think it's actually amazing on the CD with Dimpy Shabalala singing, which you just played. Yes, I mean, I, I didn't know as much about his music as I knew about his art. Um, You're you... not alone, Shadow. That's <laughs> one of our roles, onerous roles as trustees of the Sokoto Foundation, is to make everyone in South Africa sit up and realize we've got this fabulous role model who should be inspiring all of us. What made you interested, Barbara, in, in Jared's work, and why have you put so much work behind the foundation? Gosh, that's a big question. I know, I know, <laughs> but it must have come from a special place. Well, um, art is my passion. Mm. So I think that's a very good place to begin because mm. I can't draw and I can't paint, <laughs> but I can certainly look, and I just find art and artists very inspiring. Um, going back to those deep, dark years, in fact, in the 70s, to express my art love, I became a voluntary guide at the Johannesburg Art Gallery. Mm-hmm. And there was one Gerard Sokoto hanging on a wall, uh, not very often, but it was there, and it had been bought in 1940 from an exhibition when he was living in Sophia Town in Johannesburg. And mm-hmm. um, he was actually becoming... Uh, the moment he came up to Johannesburg from Limpopo, he was almost an instant hit. Mm. Uh, when one looks back at the newspaper cuttings and things, mm. every time he exhibited, he almost had a sellout. Even in a group show, he would be the one who would have sold. And uh, he got tremendous positive uh, commentary from the Bielk, from the Rand Daily Mail, and uh, when he moved down to Cape Town from the Argus. So he really was noticed by 1943, Walter Battis had invited him to join the new group, mm. which was a little coterie of the top artists, Ernest Byrne, Maggie Locher, uh, you know, all of that mm. sort of well-known, even then, well-established crowd. But when his picture was bought in 1940 by the Johannesburg Art Gallery, which uh, was an extraordinary event, it was the first black artist's work to go into the museum, he was not allowed in. He um, 
went around to Chabert Park and mm-hmm. banged on the door and said he'd like to see his painting. And somebody popped their head out and said, well, you can't. And he said, but why not? Oh, they said, well, you can't. You must go away. So then one of the black cleaners overheard the conversation and came out and said, you know what, if you apply for a job as a cleaner, then you could come and see your thing. <laughs> so those are the circumstances. Oh, By the time uh, 1983-84 came around, uh, as you know, it was a very dark time in our history. Mm-hmm. And there was a very remarkable conference that took place in Botswana, which was um, about how culture could fight against apartheid. And for the efforts of an extraordinarily talented, wonderful artist, Tani Mignoli, that again, most people don't know about, he actually got 60 bullets in his back when Mm. the South African government went over the border Mm. to fight the so-called communist terrorists, whatever they were perceived to be. Mm. Um, I had done my voluntary art guiding. I had a, well, I have a husband who was the chairman of the Market Theatre in, in those dark years. And so we were very much sort of involved in the arts and uh, the actual excitement of that period of enormous defiance. And I got to know Bill Ainsley, who was also very much part of those sort of circles, and uh, Professor Chibani Mangani came out. He had been in exile in America where he had studied to be a psychologist. Um, and on his way home from America, he went to France where he looked for the Koto. He was particularly interested in the exile personality and the mind of the exile personality. Mm. He found Sokoto. They had a meeting, but the next day, Sokoto didn't come back for the next meeting. And so he hung around and tried to find him, and he was unable to. There was a reason why he hadn't come. He came back to South Africa and went to Bill Ainsley and said, somebody should work on this, and somebody should bring Sokoto back into South Africa. Bill Ainsley knew me, knew my personality, and suggested that I should meet Chibani. And that was the beginning of a now 35-year-old Wow. I could sit here and listen to you for, uh, we're going to run out of time and I'm going to have to... ask me simple questions. No, no, no. (laughs) Okay. How big is his collection? Uh, How how much work did he he do eventually? And do we have all of that work? Well, um, he was very, very prolific. He was particularly prolific before he left South Africa. Most of those works are in private hands, and they are bought and sold collectors. Um, When I did the first book, which was published in 1988, there were 329 paintings that I found. By 1991, a whole lot more were found for the retrospective exhibition that was put on at JAG, which was the first time, of course, there was a major retrospective of a black artist there in itself. That was um, a moment in history. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, when he went into exile, there were a huge number of works, and I suspect we still haven't found many of them. I think many probably got lost, forgotten, thrown away, or whatever, works on paper mainly, because once he went into exile, he became more and more impoverished as time went by. 
but he remained energetic, versatile. He got very involved in Présence Africaine from its establishment. So he went off to Senegal, where he did a series of extraordinary sketches of mm. Senegalese, came back to Paris, painted memories of those. Um, when he, after the first book was published, he began sending me little packages of images, some as small as a postage stamp, some large, you know, well, not very big, but say sort of uh, 18 centimetres by... 15, you know, that sort of size, mm. big enough to be sort of proper pictures. And they would come in envelopes and he would say, this is to thank you, please keep what you want and sell the rest on my behalf. I immediately decided that nobody should buy them and I certainly wouldn't keep any. And I then set about making it into a portfolio. It took me a couple of years and to find a buyer, but eventually the buyer was found, which was the Argus Group, they were working very closely with Agri Cluster, who was doing his nation-building program. Mm. He was not fully appreciated, actually, for his efforts, and he was an extraordinary man. Mm. And it was bought, and that is in the Witz Art Collection now. Um, it began, it was called the Sokoto Collection of Drawings. It's now just known, I think, as the Sokoto Drawings. There are about 329 sketches and paintings there. Then when he died... Um, his leftovers, as it were, everything was in his room was put together. By then, he had lived on French social security for 45 years. So, mm. the, And by now, he was famous. You know, a huge amount of work had gone on in between. He had been awarded the Chevalier des Arts et des Lettres by the French government. So they suddenly said, well, you know, he's been living on social security. This belongs to all of us. It's sort of a complex legal process. Mm -hmm. uh, Weather Wenzel do need a mention because they and their senior partners over 35 years have done all the incredibly complex, intricate legal work pro bono. Barbara, I'm going to have to ask you to please yes. give me more of your time. We'll continue this conversation next week, and I'll make sure we start earlier, because yes. there is so much information there, and uh, I think we, we deserve to, to, to ex celebrate him in many ways, but also understand his life, and we'll appreciate the paintings and all of his other works better and his books. So may I ask that we speak again next week? Thank you so much, Adam. Sorry, I'm so... No, no, but I, I'm loving the story. <laughs> I'm loving the route. story. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk again next week. Hazel will be in touch. Thanks so much, Adam. You take Bye. care now. Bye-bye. Wow, what history. Uh, com. if you want to know more, but we will have Barbara Lindop talk to us again. It's time for our children's story.